This is Erin Juliana, and you're tuned in to the Who Is She podcast. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome back to the Who Is She podcast. We are officially on episode four, and it is our very first interview featured episode. I am so excited because I'll get a chance to actually interview women who have inspired me, who have motivated me, who just are doing really awesome things. And I want to personally get to know more about their journey, more about who is she as a woman. And of course, I want to share their greatness with you. So our very first interview feature is a woman who I feel is just bomb as fuck. She's an activist, a visionary creative. She's politically woke. She is also a soror of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, the first, the finest, and the best. She is restoring humanity, education, and oneness through music. And she's just spreading all of her light. She's a magical, beautiful unicorn. You can follow her hashtag Mir says on all social media platforms. It was social media that introduced me to her. Like I came across her page on Instagram one day and I was just like, who is this? Like, she seems like she's really cool. She's spitting knowledge. I'm looking through the captions and I'm just like, she's pretty. She looks like me as far as she's a brown girl. She's educated, but she's not talking about the typical things that you're used to people talking about. She's actually talking about politics. She's talking about being better spiritually And just being an overall better person from the inside out, really making wellness of the self a priority. And that was something that was totally new to me. So I was definitely intrigued by her. I started following her. She talked about different events that she was going to be speaking on panels. So I went to support. I met her. And she has just been just overall like an inspiration. Like she posts things on Instagram. She posts stuff on Twitter, when I hear her speaking in person, it's just like, she's just bomb as fuck. She's just a ball of just positive energy. And I think that you all will definitely learn amazing things about her through her journey and her story. And I'm just really excited for this interview. So let me stop rambling. Let's get right into it. This is our premiere episode of our interviews series. And this is the very first interview that I did with Mir Harris. What is your morning routine or like your daily ritual that you do before you get ready to go into the world? So my morning ritual, if I haven't overslept and I'm not rushing, (laughs) which is most times, I got to be honest, I set several alarms during the morning. Because I'm one of those people to be like 6, 6.15. Actually, I wake up at 5. I wake, try to wake up at the sun. So the first one will go off at 5, then 6, then 6.30, then 7, then 7.30. Um, and usually by the first one, even if I'm not fully awake, honestly, I just try to talk to God. Um, I pray. I meditate in my head. I might formally get up and meditate or do a guided meditation. But really, I just talk to God. And it, I try to make myself leave yesterday and yesterday and pray for my steps to be guided um and to just have discernment I think because in this current point in my life I have spiritually awakened in a lot of ways um and shed a whole lot since I turned 30 a few years ago 
and I think that it's just it's imperative and it's almost necessary and dictates the energy of my day and wake up centered versus wake up and going into Instagram or seeing a text or just what I call rabbit holing mm-hmm. into a whole nother energy that doesn't serve me so I try to set an intention and like I said talk to God um and I, I know that that may sound weird and it would have been weird to me maybe even five years ago but again the type of spiritual place that I have I would say stumbled upon because it wasn't decided until it, it really kind of proved itself to myself um, it has kind of proven invaluable mm-hmm. and I went through a lot of things over the last year, even the last couple of years, that kind of proved to me that, like, there are certain things you just can't escape, and you'll keep learning the same lessons over and over, because I think as people, we have a tendency to face adversity or face, you know, a challenge and come out of it and forget the tools that helped us get out of it, yeah. and so I've made a very conscious decision not to do that and to continue the diligence as as much as possible I'm human I'm not you know I work on discipline every day but things like talking to God when I wake up writing in my gratitude journal not just a list of things but actual like why I'm thankful for them um I think that I try not to abandon even though things are great and amazing right now and I think that those things continue to open up my life for me so um if there was a ritual without like being so routine, I think it's more to to the best of my ability harness my energy and like protect it mm-hmm. for sure. So you were saying that you turned thirty a few years ago. I'm gonna turn thirty next week. Oh, congratulations, girls! Go get fun. Go <laughs> get fun. Welcome to 30 and 30. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> uh, why? Do you have a specific 30 question? So earlier today, me and my um, homegirl, she's about to turn 32. We were at just a bakery mm-hmm. and we were talking to the lady in front of us. And she was just saying, like, you know, when you turn 30, you just you feel a little bit different. Yeah. Whether you like it or not. So how did you how do you feel compared to your last year your twenties? Oh shit! <laughs> how deep are we going tonight? This is the second question. Are we keeping it all the way funky or like what are we doing? I don't know. Yeah, because okay, I really want to know like who you are because when I first like when I first stumbled across your Instagram, like that was one of the first things I said like who is she? Like who is she? I, don't I just know. thought. I'm I thought you were just, like, so cool. And then you were, for me, like, kind of being new to L.A., Mm -hmm. you were a different kind of brown girl. And I'm like, she's smart. She's pretty. She dropping knowledge. I'm like, she's talking about politics. And then when I went on to your Tumblr, I'm just like, she's sharing all this cool-ass information. Like, who is she? Who is she? (laughs) I don't know. I'm trying to figure that out. I'm just kidding. Um... Man, okay, so where do I, where, where do, where do we start? Do we start with the 30 or, I mean, I guess 30, my story of 30. And you know what, I'll, I'll keep it funky because, um, a close friend of mine and a soror actually, um, 
recently shared a piece of herself with me and come to find out we had a similar experience. And through sharing with each other, we realized how or identified how often women are afraid to tell their stories without realizing how many of us go through the same thing. So I'm going to try to do it without getting too deep or emotional with this one. Um, (laughs) But 30 for me was a legitimately surreal experience um, in the fact that from 27 to 30, and I'm not too far off, I'm 32 right now. From 27 to 30, um, spiritually it was what I come to find out is kind of like your ascension. Like at 27, you come into a lot more of your gifts um, even if it's unbeknownst to you or if you're not even ready for it, it's just kind of like, blam, you know what I mean? Almost like one of those supernatural movies, like all of a sudden you could fly. Right. Um, and so I started to come into a lot and not really fully understand it. And mind you, I'm super blessed to have a really spiritually sound and wise mother and family um, and have had a lot of guides throughout my life. But 30 was a, a different beast. 30 really made me realize that not only is my life's purpose and my mission in this lifetime a great responsibility, it also requires um, and entails a greater res- a greater amount of formation and preparation than I think my peers, a lot of my peers that were around me at the time, were going. Right. And and that's not to say people are better or I'm on another level or whatever. I just think it's different. It was you know, different. it's just different. Just like, you know, you could have somebody like Stephen Hawking who has this degenerative disease and is one of the most brilliant people, one of the most fascinating minds on the planet, but cannot move or speak, you know, versus like a WWE wrestler who has all the physical prowess in the world but might not be able to intellectually hang with him. It's just different. It's, just it's different. not good or bad. It's so subjective. So I say that to say, leading up to 30, I had this idea that, you know, I had been working in entertainment. I had had my big executive position, my first executive position for, um, I think, like a year year by that point, um, if I'm not mistaken. And I was like, I'm going to do a show that's like the culmination of all of my passions. It was kind of like a cabaret show. Mm -hmm. I literally called in every favor possible. I don't, I'm not the type of person who really asks people for nothing. Mm-hmm. Or if I do, I like get to the point. But I, you know, stocked up all these relationships. My homeboy owned the club. The band I had hired on all these different jobs. I called all the homies to come perform for me. And it was to the point where I had it so meticulously in my head that even the night of, as we opened the doors, nobody in that room knew exactly what was going to happen except for me even the band. Mm-hmm. The band hadn't rehearsed with the performers. Like we had the sound check. The performers hadn't uh, rehearsed with the dancers. Like I had and it was funny because we had the back VIP room as the green room and people mm-hmm. were walking in texting me like, hey I'm in the club. Like where are you? Not realizing I had the whole thing until you know my homeboy opened with a poem and the show started. Mm-hmm. And it was crazy. Like I had costume changes blah blah blah. And like I'll show you a clip from the intro but yeah. I had a grand entrance. I wore my grandmother's fur. And in my opening monologue, I basically shared with the whole room, like, everybody in this room, my mom was in there, my, you know, writing clients, like, everybody from all of my different walks of life was in one room. And it was packed. Like, mm-hmm. this was, it was at Bootsy Bellows in Hollywood. Like, it was 
I've never, to this day, I used to promote in Hollywood. To this day, I've never seen an L.A. club packed from, like, 10.30 to, like, 3 like a.m. Like that. Like, bouncing off the walls. So, and there was wide outside. It was crazy. So, in the opening monologue, I was like, look, like, this is probably a lot of your first time getting to see this side of me. But tonight is about me turning 30 and owning who I am and expressing that in a way that I've always dreamed of doing. And, like, this was just kind of the beginning. When I kid you not, that night was one of the most flawless nights of my life. And the very next day on, I started shedding friends and losing people and shedding layers, right? So Mm -hmm. my birthday is October 3rd. That party was on October 1st. October 16th through 18th was the very first revolt conference. Mm -hmm. And um, right after that, I was supposed to go to another conference for work. So had the time of my life at this thing. Um, have a great week leading up, you know, whatever, hanging out with my friends. Weird stuff started happening. I wasn't paying much attention. Fast forward to Revolt Conference, it was incredible. Like, I didn't go this last year, but I don't think you'll ever have the magic of the first year. Because right. it was like, nobody expected them to like have it together like that. The energy of it, the participants. like, And mind you, I kind of grew up in the game. So, like, a lot of people, like 1500 and mm-hmm. like 1500 or nothing, rather... And, you know, a lot of people who were participating, it was like a, a full circle moment. Yeah. And, and, and even in that time, right leading up to my birthday, it was kind of like getting to watch myself and all my friends have their 10,000 hours mm-hmm. and co- get to- at the same time. And it was crazy. So longer story shorter, had a great first day, had a great second day. The night of the second day after the club... I ended up going off on my own to, like, find food or whatever. My phone died. Couldn't find a cab. Couldn't find an Uber. Ended up splitting a cab with this dude who would end up trying to rape me. And I escaped it without going into gory detail. And got back to the hotel. Ended up having to, like, go through, you know, like, telling the police and all of this stuff and had one of the most surreal moments of my life as I'm walking out of the police station Puff posts me asking a question from the conference and so people start blowing up my phone like oh I know you like that I always knew you was gonna be on the ride like and and I do not know how to feel yeah because my power was stripped from me and on the one hand a moment that I thought could never happen to me you know what I mean? And thank God it didn't play out as bad as it could have. Um, I, I didn't know how to emotionally reconcile that while everybody's calling me a boss and this, that, and the third. And now I have to, like, continue on through this conference. Right. So that was the beginning of a crazy spiral because I never dealt with that. You just have to, like, I just had to on. keep going. Yeah. And... It ended up in a lot of, like, personal issues with people and issues at work. And really, and I was just kind of in a dark space because, again, I did not know how to deal. And that was in October. And by February, I literally spiraled into, I mean, a a legitimate breakdown without, you know, better explanation of it. Um, And I don't say that to over-dramatize. I don't say that to, you know, look for sympathy because I know there are other women that I know personally who have been through much worse. Right. You know what I mean? But I'm just saying, like, you only know your experience. And right. to have 
such a roller coaster of emotion to be feeling some of the best ways you have ever felt, have some of the most career highlights and most lifetime highlights you've ever felt simultaneously with some of the lowest moments you've ever felt. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever dealt with depression, but it is a disease. It It is a, a, a chronic illness that takes a daily battle to fight. And so in the midst of coming into such personal power and such personal empowerment and um, embracing of myself, I was also having to deal and reconcile in a way I had never dealt with before. So by that beginning of that next year, you know, I took some time off of work. I took some time to try to heal. Um, but it was never really the same for a while. And um, looking back now and being able to talk about it in the manner that I can now, I can simultaneously realize everything happens for a reason, as crazy as it sounds, as much as how I wish I would have healed more properly earlier than I did. Right. Um, And so, you know, 30, after I worked through all that, 30 opened up a different type of life in terms of loving myself that I had never realized I needed to encounter and once I did that self-work you know what I mean and 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 that's why I kind of like point out like it's not a, a comparison it's not a you know my experience was worse or good or bad again those are subjective things I think that through all of those trials I realized how much if you are in denial of what you need to shape within yourself you will be slapped in the face and confronted with it until you do until you do and my homegirl, one of my close friends at the time, she used to tell me, like, you know, I also got in a couple of car accidents before that that were, like, pretty bad and basically put me on my butt to just sit and think about stuff. She was like, you know, God will come to you in a whisper, then he'll speak more clearly, then he'll come to you in a shout if you do not listen to him. And I think that that period was definitely um, an experience and a lesson in true self-love as well as compassion. Not just for others, but for myself. For yourself. And at the same time, another friend told me, like, you know, we already know that you're selfless. You go to tooth and nail for other people. You need to start doing that for, for yourself. You. And then, through that healing process, I realized how much I had been dimming my own light for other people. And that's why my life was showing me so much pain and struggle. Because I was not embracing what I was here for. Um, and so, you know... I can say that now with a different type of strength, but it's not like it ends. You right. know what I mean? It's not like there's a legitimate proverbial there that you reach. I think whenever you get to where you think you wanted to go, it just opens up and expands. And it's just more. And the more that I dream more wildly and limitlessly, the more I'm presented with situations that prepare and shape me for that. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, and so I think, you know, your 30s, if you allow them to be, it's not old. It is a refinement of yourself, um, whether you like it or not. And if you are blessed to have done the self-work, you will soar and enjoy it. And it is so fun. Um, if you are not, your life will keep will keep in you. And I think that, you know, it's a we're in an age where it's like, oh, energy and love and light and third eye. And they become almost trendy terms like astrology. Mm-hmm. But, you know, through all of that process, through the last couple of years, I really kind of um, 
refine the idea that in order to intimately and truly know my light, I had to intimately know my dark. I had to face that. And I think people do it in theory or they'll have like a conversation with their girl or whatever. And for a moment, they'll acknowledge it. But it's tough as shit to really face your own shit. And it takes a rare type of courage to do that. But it's priceless. It's so priceless. And I always tell my friends when they come to me with, you know, whatever. Um, And I think that's a tendency, too, is like people are drawn to me because they see his strength but that's because it's real because I earned it it's not a projection of what I want to be anymore and I think that that's what 30 brought and I tear up as I say it because you you remember the pain that you went through to get that strength you remember it's just like working out it hurts you get the muscle and then it doesn't hurt as much anymore and life is the same way um and I think that that took a certain level of courage and strength by myself to really embrace because it was dark and it was lonely and it was quiet for a really long time but I am so grateful for it because had I not had it I would not be able to share I would not be able to be fearless enough to share my story to on a daily basis share information without feeling like it's a threat to my success with fundamentally understanding that it keeps propelling me um and to continually remind myself of the things that got me through because they're going to continue to get me through. You know what I mean? And I think that, that that's hard for a lot of people, especially in a day and age where projecting your successes and your happiness is the trend. Um, and people, you know, unless you have a solid spiritual foundation, don't realize how necessary that spiritual work is. It really is more than anything, more than busy work, more than networking, more than anything. I think if anybody looks at my life and considers me successful, it would not be without that work. It had nothing to do with who I know. It had nothing to do with who put me on. It had nothing to do with what check was cut. It had nothing to do with anything of that besides that at the moments I was presented with opportunity, I had done the self-work to be recognized in that room. I know that was heavy. That was a lot, but like, but no, I can totally like. So when you're doing the self work, what kind of what kind of work are you doing? Like, because sometimes I like there are some things about myself that I'm just like, okay, these aren't things that are perfect. I want to try to change and do. It's certain things about myself that I have to change, and a self like self love and like not accepting certain things and speaking up for myself like those are big things so what what did how I um I don't think there's ever a like straight linear way I think that it takes uh, a certain level of openness and willingness and legitimate this has been the mantra of the whole year and the last year getting comfortable being uncomfortable Like, I can't stress that enough. You have to get fucking comfortable being uncomfortable, as crazy as that sounds. And that's not like putting yourself in uncomfortable situations. That means putting yourself in situations that you might not have thought of readily or you might might not like readily um, in order to truly learn who you are. Um, For me, early on, it was moving away. 
I spent a lot of time in New York. I was there off and on for 10 years. I really learned myself in Brooklyn and surviving in New York. Um, but even to the same token, coming back and especially working in and living in the entertainment world, you're, you're constantly surrounded with people trying to figure themselves out. And you have to take extra care with who you surround yourself with, who you open up to, as well as finding the tools. Like, I spent a lot of time, and that's why I set up my house the way that I have, to have, you know, books or tools or things that inspire me or things that remind me of what's really important. Um, you know, I got the posters on my mirror, like Mary Jane, too. Like, I think you kind of have to do whatever you do to build your magic. And... Um, a couple turning points I had, like, I had a really low moment and a girlfriend gave me this book called Battlefield of the Mind mm -hmm. by Joyce Myers. And it really kind of put into perspective the conversations I was having with myself in my head that I didn't even realize. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or the, the level at which sometimes we let other people's dialogue or other people's projections come into our own thinking about okay. ourselves and we ignore our intuition. And I spent a lot of time, I literally, like, as crazy as it may sound, in my own head, like, I'm a super theatrical kid. I grew up in the theater, um, and I literally assigned voices to the thought patterns in my head. So there would be, like, the, the cynical, you know, other people's influence voice. There would be God and knowing you know, who I truly believe is my intuition or guides my intuition. And then there would be the me, you know what I mean? That sometimes kind of felt like when I'm looking through my own eyes, this is a shell. And it was this little being in the back of my head kind of trying to steer the ship mm -hmm. um, and not get lost. And once I kind of did that, you know, you get over the fact of feeling kind of schizophrenic. Mm -hmm. um, you start to, to know what to push out and yeah. not focus on. And it really takes a retraining um, and sometimes mantras and meditation and, again, discipline to to get there. Um, I read a lot, a lot of schools of thought, um, and I kind of transitioned from being young and thinking I knew it all and having my belief system to studying a whole bunch of stuff and extracting what was the same that resonated with my truth teach. Yeah, like I was raised Buddhist, for instance, and I met my pastor protesting, you know what I mean? And his evolution, Pastor Teray Roberts, his evolution through one church in L.A. has kind of coincided with my personal journey to the point that he fundamentally helped me find my relationship with God through his mentoring, through his word, through his teachings um, in a way that was more universal than what he calls traditional churchy or like church folk could People will have a tendency, and it's a natural, you know, I guess a societal norm to judge or to label or to box people up, which ultimately is a way to, like, feel a way about them or feel better about yourself. About yourself. Yeah, and I think that, that the more you study other schools of thought or, you know, other belief systems, you're able to kind of see there's some truth, some universal truths that are kind of strung along through all of them people just found different styles and people subscribe to those different styles. Right. You know what I mean? Just like there might be some person whose delivery is real loud and aggressive and that's how they communicate versus someone who's real soft-spoken way back and that might not resonate with them. Right. Um, it's just different. Again. So, like I said, there's no linear way. I think you just have to be open to 
to talking to different types of people or seeking wisdom from different types of people. Um, and for me, it was it was really, you know, reading a lot and studying a lot and um, studying myself a lot, whether it was like a numerology chart or um, uh, I did a Myers-Briggs and found out I was an ENTJ, like all these different tests or different, you know, quizzes or whatever, I would always end up in these, like, outlier categories. Mm -hmm. You know, like, ENTJ personality is, like, 10% of the population, 1% women. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's also rare. It's it's rare in that it's, like, the commander type of personality that has this trifecta of, like... And, again, it's not better, but, like, you also have to, with that strength, learn grace. Yeah. And... That used to be how I'd hit my head up against the wall a lot because I did not understand my own strength, let alone how it affected other people. Um, and so through studying myself, I, I found a better understanding of myself and the, the tools and the discipline and the things that I needed to refine. And again, there's no finish line to that. It's a daily thing, like even through being able to articulate it now, like when I speak about it to other people and they ask me these questions every time. I deliver an answer. I I learn more succinctly how I feel and what I'm trying to say, or you know, reconciling a little bit more. And I, it's a process, and you yeah. have to um, you have to be willing to surrender to that process for sure. So. I can I can understand because <laughs> just like a lot of the things you were saying, just like how you have to sometimes shed people from your life. You got to figure out stuff. You have to surrender. Like, the last few years, like, I can... Yeah, I mean, that's hard. Like, that's the thing, too, is, like, when you're going through it, and even me and one of my best friends, we joke every day, like, maybe we should just be good instead of great. Like, (laughs) you really realize, like, a lot of people just are the way they are because they choose not to do that work because it's hard work. Like, it's the hardest work you will do in your life, for sure. So how... How are the women who raised you? What kind of lessons? Oh my God, they're crazy. <laughs> How have they molded and shaped you? Man, um, I actually was thinking about that recently. Like, I have three prominent women in my life: my mother, my nana, and my grandmother, my mother's mother, and my aunt Leslie, my mom's younger sister, who are three very strong, very very different women. Um, my mother, or my grandmother, rather was a preacher's daughter and very conservative conservative grew up in a different time but her children you know they say the next generation you do better for them than you did for yourself and her children were much more free-spirited um and so I kind of watched her through the years like relinquish a little bit of that conservative nature be more open and accepting like she went from like trying to force me to go to Sunday school with Mm -hmm. her to I love all religions and whatever. <laughs> um, but, you know, I also watched her get up every day. Because we, when we moved from the Bay here, we lived with my grandparents um, most of my life. Get up every day, put her makeup on, get dressed, make my grandfather breakfast, go run her hands, and do the same thing the next day. And take care of the household it down, take care of the grandchildren, hold it down. And then my mother, never married, has been Buddhist since she was 18 is a worldly thinker, is one of the wisest people I've ever encountered. And um, definitely 
thought to instill in me. Like, she used to tell me when I was in her womb, she was like, I want a global citizen. I want a citizen of the world. Um, she's, you know, embodies so many different gifts, blah, blah, blah. Even my name, Mir, means peace and world in uh, Russian, Czechoslovakian. And Kanon is the Buddhist deity that protects humanity. Um, I'm like, thanks, no pressure. <laughs> um, right. But she has always been a source of knowledge, wisdom, encouragement. I guess that's another thing that I've been very fortunate to have. Anytime I was having those moments where I wanted to give up or was just over it or like, you know, wanted to quit adulting, like I said, she came with the article, with the book, with the link, with the this, with the that. Um, that was always like, okay, like, and it used to be, you know, I resented it. I'd be like, ah, like, I don't want to hear it today. I just want to bet. Um, but now I appreciate it so much more because I realize how much it's in my foundation and my inner workings and everything that I do. And then my aunt was 18 when I was born and I was 18 when her kids were born. And we just have a different kind of dynamic also because she's a Gemini and a believer. Um, but where we relate to each other in a different way as well as she's, she offers a perspective that I don't readily consider that I might not receive from my mom because it's my mom. Right. She's a little... Um, so again, like, you know, I was very fortunate to have all of them and that's just the tip of the iceberg. Like, there are a lot of strong women in my family, a lot of aunties, a lot of cousins. I was always around a lot of strong, vibrant women growing up, especially because my mom, she had me too young. She had me at like 27 but she was still figuring it out. She was in grad school, yeah. you know, at the time. And her friends in the auntie club, I got to see so many versions of women who were just unapologetically themselves. And they were beautifully flawed. And they were just just such rare birds. And I just remember, like, hanging in rooms and, and just soaking it all in. And, um, you know, I'm an only child, too. And so... A lot of my friends have always said between being an only child and being raised around my grandparents, I was always, like, wise beyond my ears. Yeah. And um, it's funny, I recently went on a trip for, with a friend that I've known since sixth grade, and she was like, back then I didn't understand you. And she was like, but now looking back, I just realized, like, you were ahead of us. Like, yeah. it wasn't, like, you were just, had such an adult level of thinking when we were still doing knucklehead shit. And, um, and I think that that, that also helped. And they saw that I was gifted and they encouraged it instead of um, forcing me to shun it or yeah. hide it or um, be afraid of it. Like, my mom always encouraged it. So I kind of learned backwards in the sense of I, I did my light because other people made me, not because that was what I was taught. Yeah. Um, because of the reactions I would get, because I was so free. And then I had to kind of unlearn that conditioning socially to get back to myself. Yeah. Um, so I truly appreciate the women I had because they they were such awesome examples, let alone they were just so encouraging and still are, you know what I mean? And I just, I'm so, again, grateful for that because I know a lot of people don't necessarily have that. Yeah. yeah, or have, you know, true examples of what female empowerment is, let alone what sisterhood looks like yeah. what um what feminine respect looks like what queendom looks like and i i don't think i'll ever be able to thank them enough for that like every time i randomly think about it i just text my mom like thank you like every time i encounter some 
crazy, like, uncouth shit. I'm just like, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. For instilling in me what you did. Like, I didn't realize then as it was, you know, annoying or I was young or I just didn't want to hear it. But now I appreciate it's priceless. Yeah, blessing. for sure. Especially just, you know, my mind. Like, I don't think I would I would have the mind that I have um, without that shaping. Right. For sure you would. Yeah, or all the things that people you. are drawn to. Yeah, for sure. What else do I want to ask you? This has been a really good conversation, though. Ah, it's like therapy. <laughs> it really is. So, something else that I wanted to talk about, you being into politics. Ah, man. I was a poli major. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, how was, so how did you go from being a poli major and then you got into music? So, music was always my first love. And right before college, I was actually in a group that was pushing the signing stuff. And this and the third, my mom was like, go to school. I'll see you for these girls. Go to school. And um, upon going to school, I actually got into Tish because I was like, oh, I'm going to go on Broadway. I'm going to be Audrey McDowell. Like, fuck with y'all are. Like, I'm out of here. Um, but couldn't get the scholarship money enough because that school was like, I was going to come out with like 80 G's in debt. And so didn't want to stay in L.A., didn't want to go to Berkeley where the rest of my family was. Mm-hmm. So I was like, let me go to San Diego. It's far enough. It'll be an experience. So yeah. I went to UCSD. And um, there, back then, like I'm so old, back then, I graduated high school in 2002, there weren't an abundance of music programs or entertainment programs or any of that stuff. And I had already, at like 15, 16, started like harassing A&Rs at labels. My mom had friends in the business. My grandmother even had friends in the business. I was always around it. Mm-hmm. Um, and going to Crossroads out here, it was really Hollywood school with a lot of, like, old Hollywood money, basically. So I had a a love affair with music. Like, I used to dub tapes. I used to scam those Columbia House. Don't, I hope they don't come get me after all this time. But those Columbia House, like, 12 for a dollar. Oh, CDs that came in the mail? CDs <laughs> Like books and books of all of I my know CDs. Exactly because I would like sign up, put on my little stamps, get all my mm-hmm. albums, and then when the bill came, I would go ghost, and then mm-hmm. I would sign up again with my middle name or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was just to get closer to music, and it opened up my musical appetite because my mom, you know, she wasn't really into like secular music, not like gospel, but she would listen to like Cesaria Avoria, Cesaria Avora, and Jobim, Antonio Carlos Jobim, and all these worldly artists um as well as like jazz galore Mm -hmm. like out of here um and so like let's say there would be like seven or eight albums that I was like dying to get Mm -hmm. then with like the last three or four I would always get something random and that's how I got into like Blink 182 Mm -hmm. or Save Ferris or you know I think Soundgarden like all these random like whatever Album cover look cool. I would be like, okay, well, I gotta get that one. You know what I mean? And like, <laughs> if I didn't like it, I'd go sell it in Amoeba or something. Um, and I remember like waiting outside a warehouse to like 
get new singles every Tuesday off the single wall because they were mm-hmm. only $1.99 and I had my allowance. <laughs> and I would have like little carry cases and anytime we went on a road trip, I would have my music and my Walkman and my Game Boy and I would zone out. And music was always my safe space and I was always like making up songs or, you know, from the time I was three or four years old, my mom, I, and I distinctly remember this too, I used to have one of those Fisher Price cars with, with you drive with your feet. feet. Uh-huh. And I would park it in front of the TV, and I would watch Moonwalker, Michael Jackson Moonwalker, <laughs> and Fightful Goes West or whatever, American Tale, uh-huh. and sing the songs. Mom would be like, oh, my God. And I would sit there for hours and just zone out, and I had a crazy imagination since I can remember. Um, so by the time I got to school, there weren't really options right. for that. Like, if I had, you know, I wasn't going to Tish, which would have been, like, focused on it. So I had to kind of figure it out and I tried pre-med for like a quarter and I was like, I don't love this shit enough. Plus I was going through like a lot of health stuff at the time. So mm-hmm. I was just over the healthcare system yeah. and doctors in general. And um, poli sci appealed to me because I like to argue <laughs> and, um, or debate rather. I like to debate and I figured at the very least I would learn how to write really well. And um, I'll never forget. I was like, a junior and this professor that I really, really liked and respected in the middle of class. I think it was just like, it was towards the end or right before finals and he could just feel the energy. Everybody was over it. And he was like, look, 60% of you will never practice law. Like, and this is one of like the big lecture halls, right? Mm -hmm. Like you see system, you're just a number. It's huge. He's like 60% of you will never uh, practice law. 30% of you that do will hate it. Another 10% will like, figure out how to leverage it into something you do like. But the reality is, like, this is a different type of discipline. You know what I mean? Like, you really got to figure out what you're in it for. And I don't know why out of that one lecture, that was the only thing I heard. And so after that, it kind of became um, a challenge to myself that if I wasn't going to become a doctor, like most, you know, a lot of my family was in medicine. If I wasn't going to become a doctor, if I wasn't going to become a lawyer, and mind you, that was another part of it. I chose poli because I was over pre-med. So mm-hmm. I was like, oh, girl, I have to be a lawyer. Um, I was going to have to figure it out in order to prove to my family I could do it. Right. And so from that moment on, I just did whatever I could to stay close to music. I moved to New York the first chance I could. I got with a headhunter. I started working at a label. Like, just would grab at any opportunity that would keep me close to me to me and like if I didn't necessarily have a job at that moment that was I was working the clubs at night or doing some promoting or university rep or whatever that would keep me close to it and then um I kind of got like a series of breaks you know what I mean and I it's funny because you look back at it and it's like oh then that happened then that happened no but there was a lot of time in between um (laughs) And then my big kind of break was the last time I came back from New York and moved back here, somebody had suggested me for this position, this assistant position at a big management firm. Mm-hmm. It was on the pop side. And like one of the biggest clients was Dr. Luke. And then through that, I met, you know, one of my closest friends to this day, Mr., who brought me into the compound fold. And working mm-hmm. with Neo and running those sessions was a whole nother ballgame. And then ball I just game. never looked back. But what kind of sustained me in those spaces and going back to what I said earlier was I had done the work that prepared me in those rooms Mm -hmm. to know what I knew and not be intimidated. And 
the one thing I did know above any, I might not have known politics, I might not have known the road to go. I always knew music. music. I knew how to speak it. I knew how to make it. I, I knew music fully. And I quickly learned what an asset it was to be able to speak the creative language as well as speak the business language. Mm-hmm. What I didn't know and what I still know all the way contend with is playing the political game because okay. there's music and there's music business. Biz. Um, and so I think I, you know, learned a lot of hard lessons from ruffling feathers in that way. But I also gained a respect because I never lied about the music. Right. And, um, yeah, I guess the rest is an ongoing history. Um, but I think, again, like, it becomes one of those moments where you realize everything was for a reason. Had I not been a political science major, I wouldn't have known how to leverage myself in conversations and business conversations. I wouldn't have known, you know, had a basic knowledge of how to read and interpret a contract and interpret language and read between the lines where, especially in urban music, a lot of people don't take the time or care to do. Um, and I think it, it trained me, especially now being in TV and film, it trained me to be able to read, to digest a whole lot of things mm-hmm. at once. Um, but again, it was a training that I wouldn't understand until later in my journey. After you went through everything that mm-hmm. you went through. For sure. So, who is she? Who is she? Who is she? Who, who is... I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you know what's funny? is It's like, it's a gift and a curse to have a unique name because I think that you ask a hundred different people, they can have a hundred different um, interpretations of who I am. And I think that she is a continual evolution um she's strong she's definitely a leader even when she doesn't want to be she is sensitive and weak at times just like anybody else um she's a light that people are drawn to and that is a gift and a curse because i think when you really you know recognize that you realize again how much more discernment you need and how much greater care you have to take like you need people to fill you back up, not just to please you. Um, she is funny. Um, she is a lot of things all at once. And I think that that's where, like, the unicorn concept came because not only have I never met anybody with my name, I've never met anybody like me. I've met people that are, like, sides of me, but not in the sense of, of totality. Mm-hmm. Um, and, again, that's not that's often mistaken for arrogance that's just an assuredness and a confidence. Like, I'm, I've convinced myself. I have taken myself around the world into different situations and tested her to know what is true for me. I can't necessarily speak to what is true for anybody else, but I know myself. So, to that token, it's funny, because, you know, there are people that don't like me, that hate me, that say this, that, or the third, but you'd be hard-pressed pressed to find anybody in the world who... I either had a disagreement with or felt that I did them wrong that I did not at least attempt to clarify intention and um, represent where I was coming from. Um, and I think that that's rare and, you know, rare in a day and age where people pride themselves and get rewarded for lying or manipulating truths. I stand by my truth. Um, 
and another close friend was told me he was like depending upon where people are in their journey they either love or hate you yeah and I'm okay with that for the first time in my life because I realize that's a big part of why I'm here on this planet and where my purpose lies in this grand design is to help people find that whether it's through sheer example or whether it's through sharing information or knowledge or tools or stories um, or resources or whatever that I have to do to to keep that flow, to keep that yin yang, yang to, to continue to be as good a giver as I am a receiver. Um, I think she <laughs> continues to to learn that and to build upon that in the best way that I can and to have compassion while I do so because um, there's no such thing as perfection like one of my favorite quotes in one of my favorite books while I was going through all of this um, was Power of Grace and Freedom by Deepak Chopra and there's this part where he talks about how we're not flawed or we're not less we're complete and like I, that's kind of where that that phrase about intimately knowing my darkness to know my light came from because it was like it was talking about how you know even your flaws even your your detriments are they add to your greatness and to your success like you can't have one without the other yeah, just yeah. as much as like you can't fully appreciate the goodness of something having not know the, the opposite yeah and you know whatever you go through there's if it's bad, there's equally great on the other side of it. You just have to kind of allow yourself to get there. For sure. Thank you so much. No worries. This was awesome. You're even more amazing. Oh, God. Yes. (laughs) Thank you all for tuning in to episode four. I hope you all enjoyed the episode. I hope you all learned some new things. And make sure that you all like, subscribe, and share. You can find Mir on all social media platforms, hashtag Mir Says. And you can also check out her website, Head Case This. And I'll be back next week. So make sure that you all let me know what you want to hear about, what you want to talk about. Have a great week.